Well, happy Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in here on March 5th. It is 1030, so it's time for Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei Suji, joined by Yanji Denise. We want to thank all of you for tuning in this morning here on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And today, you know, we're going to be talking about how people have really come together during this pandemic. We've seen it through the various food drives. We've seen it through donations. But there's also a number of ways that citizens have taken uh, and, and banded together to support one another. And today, Yanji, we're focusing on those efforts. Yeah, usually, you know, we talk to leaders and lawmakers, uh, people sort of on the official side of this. But now, as Ryan said, we're talking to sort of the power to the people groups, people who are using Facebook and other social media to empower themselves and help one another. One of the big frustrations has been uh, people who broke quarantine that was early on and lack of masks uh, and also troubles with the unemployment system. So today we're welcoming representatives from two groups that uh, that address those issues. First up, we have Peter Yee and Kanani Elaban. They are from the Hawaii Unemployment Updates and Support Group on Facebook. They've got, I believe, over 26,000 members already. Uh, Kanani, we know that you are the person who started this all. So welcome both of you. Um, and Kanani, if you would start, how did this all, how did this all begin? Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, um, just people who aren't familiar with unemployment starting this journey, uh, I knew there were going to be so many people that didn't know what to do. So when I started the group, of course, I didn't expect it to have as many people as it does now. But I'm I'm happy that it's grown to what it has. I'm happy that I have Peter and Jamie who've assisted me in the last year um, compiling information almost on a weekly, sometimes daily basis because things are currently changing and um, they, they don't stop changing, you know. So it's been it's been a resource for people to go to so they don't have to search the information on their own. And it's also a place where they can voice their concerns and um, speak on the stress that they're having through the whole journey. And, and Peter, we know, uh, we hear the concerns when we bring up the topic of unemployment. We see it in our comments and on our show. What are some of the frustrations that you've seen and experienced and heard uh, during your conversations with people in your group over, these, uh, over this past year? Well, uh, the largest group, uh, the biggest wave of uh, claims um, expired in September and October. We're talking thousands, tens of thousands. And some of them have moved on and a lot of them have not. They've been flagged for overpayments. So that's a big issue. They feel that uh, freezing 24 weeks of payments is too high of a penalty for a $500 overpayment. Um, the other issue is you can't get through on the phones. And Kanani, I, I wonder, you know, we, we do have the director on, as uh, as Ryan mentioned, quite regularly. What changes do you think could be made at the office level? Uh, what, what are you hoping for? What are you pushing for so that so many people aren't stuck waiting for benefits? Um, so we have a claimant in the group who's been pending over six months for an overpayment of less than $100. So the first thing I think we'd like to see is automatic withholding um, from their future payments that covers that overpayment. Because even if they're told that the payment will be taken out, some are still receiving stubs in the mail to send it in, but it takes up to six months of Peter's 74 weeks of your payments on hold for such a small overpayment that wasn't their fault. So we would love to see some sort of automatic withholding done if the claimant has an overpayment. And Peter, have you, uh 
maybe if you can share with us some of the success stories that you've you've heard, uh, ways that you were able to help individuals. What are some of the things that uh, have come out from this group? Well, from the very beginning, we've compiled our own question and answer uh, list. And that list is constantly changing depending on what phase the uh, bulk of the claimants are in. So if you look into our group and type in um, hot topics or uh, calling UI, we can tell them if it's even effective to try to call. Uh, otherwise, we do have a solution listed or a reason uh, of why they are pending. So to check, check the uh, search uh, bar and uh, look it up. We have a vast uh, number of resources there. We have 70,000 different topics or 70, 70 um, different topics that they can look up right away. You know, Peter, I know that you tend to answer a lot of the questions. I've been on that group and just searching through and I see that, you know, you're spending, I, I would think, almost every day on there fielding those questions. I know that the unemployment uh, office has their own Q&A website that, that, start, that tries to address these issues as well. What, what do you think is different about having this sort of forum? Why do you think that people are gravitating to your group as opposed to just finding the Q&A uh, on the DLRA or website? Uh, their Q&A is just the basics of how to file and so forth. But as we know, with an old system, there's a lot of glitches. And so we have something called details that you can click on uh, if you're pending. It's basically the exception of why you are pending. So we list all of the reasons and if there's a solution or not. Um, and that's an ongoing uh, chore. Uh, we have to update that. Um, on a regular basis, and we do. You know, Jamie, or Kanani, I should say, are you at all um, worried about what could potentially happen with this next round of CARES Act funding? We've spoken to the director and we've seen over time how when these new policies get implemented or this new wave of funding, I should say, get, gets implemented, we see this lag because of the adjustments that have to be made to the mainframe. Uh, what are you, uh, do you have any concerns about what's to come? Do you feel that you folks are a little bit more equipped now that you've gone through this a few times? What can you share about that and, and what's um, definitely, likely to come? Yeah, definitely still 100% concerned. And the reason for this is, brings me to our second largest issue, the claimants who are still pending the first round of PEV. So we're on our second round, we're close to our third round, and there are still thousands of people waiting for the first PEUC, PEUC 13. Um, that, of course, stems could stem from overpayment, but a lot of these people, um, their details just say no details. So they don't even know why they're pending for so long. Um, and it's stressful for them because they can't move on to the second extension, the third extension. They, they can't get paid at all because they're still pending that first round. So another suggestion um, we want to make to the DLIR is the employees could prioritize these PEV 13 things before moving on to anyone else. And of course, that's waiting for the second PUC is also an issue, but um, that would be our, our main concern, are those pending for the first round. We see so many positive comments, uh, one including from one of the moderators on your group, who's Jamie, and says that mm -hmm. we spend hours volunteering to help the community. Peter, how much time is this taking for you on an individual level? I mean, obviously you're not getting paid, so uh, what, what keeps you coming there every day and, and fielding all these questions? 
Well, from the very beginning, I, I saw um, systemic issues with the, the processes. So it was well worth my time to try to help people. It's just giving back. Uh, I'm a claimant myself. Uh, and uh, to just try to be organized and give everybody access to a vast library, I think was very important uh, because there was a you know lack of information from the government. And it's very rewarding for me. Uh, I don't mind putting in the time. And, and Kanani, for you, when, when you started this group, uh, if you can speak to how it all got started, maybe how did Peter, how did Jamie get involved mm -hmm. and what sort of transitions have you had to make uh, as the group grow, uh, you know, began to grow even more and as some of these uh, more people began joining the group? So I'm a mom. I have three kids. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, until recently, I was distance learning um, at home. So I did have some free time being at home to um, really, really dive into this group and be able to help answer questions. And as the group started growing, I just couldn't do it on my own anymore. So the way I found Peter and Jamie was going to the top of the list of most active commenters, people who were assisting the most. And Peter had thousands and thousands of answers for people. So did Jamie. I wish she could be here today. She's been a huge asset to this and everything that it is, but they've both um, really helped me when I'm busy with something. They're jumping on it. And surprisingly, just the three of us, almost 27,000 members today, it's it's been enough. Um, they're, they're like 10 people in one. I'm very grateful for both of them. You know, Peter, on a practical level, as people are starting to, you know, as more people, unfortunately, are losing jobs permanently, we saw a lot of people were furloughed initially, but those separations are becoming more permanent. So there are new people who are entering the system. What advice do you have for someone who may be filing for the first time or who is running into a lot of frustration with this? What, what can you tell people to do? What are some common mistakes? Uh, that's very true. If you make a mistake, it can result in a very long delay and constantly trying to call um, the unemployment office. So I would uh, access our uh, database of information. It's just right there, easy. It's more of a self-service uh, type of thing. And uh, it's very easy. If you can use Google, you can use our group, uh, the search engine, topics, folders. And if you don't, happen to find your answer, you can just ask and uh, our generous members will uh, respond. Kanani, have you, uh, you know, we, we've heard that the department is not looking to have any in-person uh, consultations or they're not looking to reopen their office to handle this. They are running everything through the call center. Do you think that uh, them opening the office at some point would be beneficial to the, your members? that would definitely help if it could happen at some point the sooner the better also i just want to throw in with the new call center guidelines um we have reports of some claimants who do have language or accent barriers who can't get past um, having to verbally say the number of their option on top of needing to call hundreds of times to even get a call through so in person would definitely help alleviate a lot of these backlog claims. You know, Kanani mentioned um, language barriers, and I know, Peter, you're also part of another group that is helping people who are Japanese uh, language speakers who might not, who have English as a second language. Tell us about some of the barriers that those folks are facing. Um, I know that there's about 30,000 members in that group as well. Right. That's our sister group that is uh, 
speaking Jap uh, Japanese as you know their first language, and it's hard enough <laughs> if you're versed in English to navigate the unemployment situation. So uh, we work through an intermediate, and uh, they monitor uh, our answers and questions and problems very closely, and uh, uh, they they are the hidden. 30,000 behind our group. So all told, we're 55,000 plus, um, and their spouses too, so probably 75,000 strong. Um, so they are in attendance right now. We wanna acknowledge them right now mm -hmm. and uh, hope that uh, the language um, email would also help them. And there used to be a phone number for um, uh, language uh, assistance. So we do recommend using those two options as well. One of the questions that we always get from people who are tuning into our show whenever we are dealing with unemployment is what number should I call? Who should I email? Uh, beyond just what your group provides and looking in the information that Peter, you spoke to, what would you recommend? What is the best number? What is the best email that you found to be the most effective during this time? Well, they post the numbers in the um, unemployment website. Uh, you have two toll-free numbers and two local numbers from the DLIR announcement. If you have AT&T or Sprint, you must use the local number. So they must have some issue with those carriers. Uh, then you have the local office numbers that are also listed in the contact button of your uh, account and they also list the fax and the email um, addresses for each office. You know, Kanani, we're, our time is gonna wrap up here so soon, but I just wanted to know, you know, if you could talk directly to those in power, to those who are um, running this office or, or helping to support it, what would you say to them? What's the one thing that you would hope that they could do um, to make this process a little bit easier? So the problem, um, of course, that they acknowledge is that the call center gets too many calls. There are a lot of pending reasons that don't require a call, but people aren't aware of that. So my suggestion to those, if, if they're listening, would be to add a tab on the claimant's homepage or in their claim inquiry next to the details that get specific instructions on what to do to be able to clear that detail. Because without that, all they have is our group. And we can keep asking people, but there are so many people who do not have access to social media and could benefit from just that little extra tab stating what to do for that specific detail. And Peter, for you, any final thoughts or words that you would have uh, for those uh, who are in power or any other final comments that you have about this experience and, and all that is happening through your group? Well, I think that uh, some of the lawmakers are not, uh, versed in you know the unemployment situation uh for example i don't know if they they're even aware that they're holding you know let's say fifteen thousand dollars for a five hundred dollar infraction i think that's unfair unbalanced and they should they have a five or six step process they should whittle it down to one step automatically hold whatever amount they're suspected of overpaying and release the rest and that's a lifeline to uh, most families. 24 weeks of payments is just too much to be uh, withholding. 
We know that you are helping so many people and we appreciate both of you coming on this morning. Mahalo Peter Yi and Kanani Alaban. The group is Hawaii Unemployment Updates and Support. You do have to request to join. Um, and so it is a, is it a, pri it is a private group, but um, we do encourage you if you are having unemployment issues to join this group because they do have, as Peter and Kanani said, a lot of information. Thank you both for being here this morning. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you. All right, Ryan, we're shifting gears and we see all of these sub comments of support. You know, um, thank you all of you for watching this morning. We're gonna shift gears now and welcome Angela Keen from Hawaii Quarantine Couple Breakers. They are another Facebook group with thousands of members uh, and their efforts are a little different, but they have been working very hard to make sure that the masks are on faces and that people are not breaking quarantine. Welcome back, Angela. Uh, tell us what's the latest with your group. Aloha mai kako. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you to the folks at the unemployment um, group because they've helped me as well being unemployed. We've got a lot of things happening. You know, we did first uh, follow quarantine breakers, but we do realize that masks work and it's the last line of defense and we're pushing for a a better statewide mask mandate um, and better enforcement. So you're going to hear it first here. In fact, I just got off the um, communications with Senator Donovan Delacruz. I've been working with him on a resolution that would set up um, an independent uh, enforcement task force across the state. Separate of HPD would likely be under the AG's office. And he just told me that they moved forward with a bill proposal. So now that rezo has turned into a bill and we're very, very excited about that. Yeah, if you can share a little more about that now bill, what does it include and how do you feel that that will help your cause moving forward? Really the issue for us all along has been law enforcement. The AG's office has been wonderful. They were tasked with quarantine breakers. However, HPD is a large organization that, and, and the neighbor island PDs, they just don't have the capacity to assist. And the laws written so that they would have to, it's almost impossible for them to write a citation. What this would do is simplify it. We'd have a task force across the state on all islands with deputized, retired officers who are looking for something to do to help the community, they would assist or, or our group would assist them in um, giving them leads and tips and leading them to um, places where or things that we feel uh, are breaking the law when it comes to mask or quarantine enforcement. So that just sort of simplifies it and it takes the weight off of the shoulders of the police departments. We'll be using leftover CARES Act funds, uh, possibly some funds from President Biden that might be coming forward soon. And we're just hoping to get it under control so that we can get tourism back and open the state back up. Because once we have those masks on, it's really a good defense, along with the vaccines for the coronavirus. If you had this citizens brigade, so to speak, where would you dispatch them right away? Where are you seeing the most violations and what are the most egregious things that are happening right now? Well, I, you know, you always hear tourists versus locals. When it's quarantine, it's both. But what we're finding with masks is that the tourists are the ones that are lacking in that area. I was just in Waikiki the other day uh, doing a news interview. 20% of the people were wearing masks. As soon as I drove out of the parking lot and got to Kapuhulu, 98% were wearing their masks. So areas like Lahaina, 
Kona Town, Waikiki. Another area is Ko'olina, Ko'olina on Oahu. It's really bad. And the residents who live there are constantly complaining. And police don't have the, the ability to go out there because it's way out there, number one. They've got better things to do. And it's a closed private development. So that makes it even more challenging. We'll also have Kauai, Mel and Charlie, uh, on the on Kauai, and we have residents on Molokai and Lanai who can who, who can help us out. But you know, those are little towns, little areas, and there's a lot of compliance there. But the hot spots are Waikiki, Koolina, Lahaina, Kona Town. Uh, those are the areas that we're looking at. The visitors just don't seem to get it, and it could be that maybe in their state they don't have a mask law. Um, that might be it. Some say they've been vaccinated, others say they've been tested, and they don't feel the need to wear a mask. When it comes to the uh, quarantine, which is what this group, how this group was birthed and formed, what what sort of violations are you still seeing today? Do you continue to see people who are opting out? We know now that they have that testing option. And so people are able to bypass that. They're not, you know, having to spend 14 days in a hotel like it was they were at the beginning of this whole process. But what are you seeing now when it comes to those who are breaking this quarantine ruling that's still uh, that is that is in place? So we get tips from all over within the tourism industry. Um, and so we're able to find out what people are, what visitors are saying when they call in and we get that word and we pass it on to the AG's office. Really they're loopholes. Um, staying overnight in, in, in Honolulu and then uh, skipping out on your hotel and going neighbor islands. Cause when you go neighbor island the next day, your whole trip is wiped out and then you end up you know, bypassing and skirting around that way. People just simply leaving their units where they're where they're staying, where they're supposed to quarantine. Um, and there's others who just don't even do the test, say that they're going to quarantine, and then they don't quarantine. And we're finding out about it. And the AG's office does check up on them. It's very easy to figure it out when people call in and ask questions with the state, we have informants that give us that information. And I'm very grateful for those people. You know, they risk, um, they risk their jobs by sharing information about visitors who go rogue, you know, mm -hmm. and we don't see a whole lot on social media anymore. And we knew that was going to happen as soon as that came out. But it's really the the egregious things of, of folks who end up sort of blabbing their mouths to the airline attendants that say, I don't believe in quarantine. I don't believe in Corona. And so that gets out to them. They pass the information on to us. We find out the name and the location and they're able to go after them. They're pretty sneaky about it. You know, one of the issues that was brought up early on with this is that the mask for mask violators, the penalty is a misdemeanor. And so you're facing thousands of dollars in fines up to a year in jail. Uh, that fine and, and that whole penalty seems to be sort of outsized to the violation. We, we know that lawmakers have been working on creating more of a ticketing system. I know you've been working with the ledge. What can you tell us about that? Well, we are deep in the trenches on that one. That was really important because what would happen is local residents would end up being hit with a $5,000 fine, whereas a tourist might come in and rip up the tickets and just leave. And so that's why, you know, police or law enforcement would say, hey, it's, it's always the locals. Well, it's not. And the, the visitors get away scot-free. The locals end up 
paying their tickets and it and it's not fair. So we want to see that brought down to lower than a misdemeanor, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty dollar fine that can be paid on the spot. We've got a bill in the House and a bill in the Senate. And I see that passing because I haven't heard any opposition on either side of the aisle for that one. Uh, and that's really key because we know that the mask is really the last line of defense. And I believe in Hawaii, if we can get those masks on, we can get back to some sort of near normalcy. We've also reached out to Mayor Blangiardi, my former boss, and we're working with him on getting kids back in the game as well. Yeah, we know that that obviously is a, um, an issue and, and a concern of many parents. And we've heard, uh, we talked about it on this conversation, on this platform as well. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts, you know, as we, as we look towards our numbers, which are on the decline, we see the vaccination efforts and how that is continuing to go. Uh, what do you think is the future for this group? Do you see that there will still be a need for this sort of Citizens United and helping to uh, really have be the checks and, and, and be the ones that are checking in on, on some of the visitors and locals. What do you see as the future for this? Well, I, I feel that Corona is going to be around for a long time. There's a whole subset of us who are between the ages of 40 and 60, and we may not get vaccinated until this summer. And then with new variants coming in, we don't know whether we need booster shots. I think though, I'd, I'd really like to help the tourism industry. And if it means keeping um, rogue visitors in line, if it means um, social media folks going viral and, and just you know doing the right thing and being Pono, I love that. And if we can bring some respect, or as John DeFree says, Malama in his program, we'd like to help with that Malama program and make sure that, um, that we can all get along, the visitors and the locals, that there's some sort of ho'oponopono. I don't see this group going away anytime soon. You know, we've seen the uh, visitors industry out there putting up signs now in Waikiki to remind people to wear a mask. You did mention uh, that, you know, there are some visitors coming in from states where mask mandates are going away. We know Texan, Texas and Mississippi are getting rid of their mask mandates. Is there more you think that the state could do or that the airline industries or, uh, you know, just to let people know, you know, is this a question of ignorance or defiance in your view? I think it's a little bit of both. If you're not used to wearing a mask in a no mask state, how are you gonna remember to put it up above your chin or put it back on? Um, the signs were great. That's, that's a reflection, I believe, of the couple breakers group. And because we pushed and pushed and pushed, that happened. I'd like to see them more visible. They're a bit high and they blend in because there's green in there. So they blend in with the trees. I do think that there needs to be touch points at every level when somebody books their trip. They need to do more digital advertising so that it's popping up on their phones, reminding them to wear a mask as soon as they leave the hotel. Uh, that when they book their ticket, that's a, there's a pop-up that says Hawaii has a mask law. It needs to be at every touch point. The airlines are getting a little bit better. Um, I know that the local flight attendants do the best because they care about the state. Um, but I would like to see more touch base, touch points with digital marketing in in this uh, battle that we have with people, visitors not wearing their masks. As we see more and more people get vac uh, vaccinated, we are hearing from other parts of the world how a vaccine passport as well as vaccine verification is being used to not only allow people to travel, but also to get into venues and to 
uh, be allowed to do certain things. And that has sparked a, another area of concern by some people who say it could be a, a privacy violation, others saying that people could be forging these mm -hmm. vaccination cards. What are your thoughts? Do you think that uh, the vaccine, uh, vaccine verification could also be something that could pose some issues down the line with people creating fraudulent vaccination uh, cards? Well, I think that um, there's a plan to make that go digital. And there's already some of that happening in Europe right now. I'm all for it. Uh, if they can figure out a digital system where people can upload that information seamlessly, just as we do with our medical records and HIPAA, I think there's a way to do it. If the countries in Europe can do it, America can do it as well. And I think it's good because coronavirus is going to be around for a long time and we'll be happy to support that measure. I know your group is also a private group on Facebook, but as we come to a close here, I would love to, for you to add, add just a closing message and also let people know how they can join your effort. Well, first of all, closing message, we support kids getting back in school. We support tourism and we support kids getting back in the game, but it's all about the mask. We have lots of members who are outside of our Facebook group. So if you need to reach us, you can email us at quarantinebreakers at gmail.com. That's quarantinebreakers at gmail.com. All right, Angela King, thank you so much for joining us once again and for your efforts and your group's efforts in helping to keep our community safe during this time. Mahalo for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Ryan, really interesting to hear from both of those groups and some breaking news from Angela there on the efforts with Senator De La Cruz to create a sort of citizen's brigade to help to police some of these issues. She's right, HPD is facing enough challenges on its own, as are, I'm sure, the police departments of the neighbor islands. And so the idea of deputizing retired law enforcement and working in concert with these citizen volunteers to report violators and then respond uh, immediately, it's an interesting idea. I'm sure there will be a lot of people who want to comment on that. So that's something we will definitely be following. Yeah, and we also heard from her an update on those changes to the ticketing uh, of those who have mass, uh, who are in mass violation, uh, saying that both of those bills continue to move forward. This is a, a effort that the couple breakers do support in changing that legislation to make the those who violate the mask wearing more of a like a jaywalking offense where they would receive maybe a hundred, a hundred fifty dollar citation on the spot rather than having to go through this process of a five thousand dollars um, ticket and go to court and through that whole legal process. So we'll continue to track uh, those efforts as well as the efforts of this group uh, and, and as well as the unemployment group. You know, we know a lot of people continue to be commenting about uh, in our show here today about their efforts and all the, the services that they provided during this time. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, all the people that you heard from today were people who had different jobs when the pandemic began, and now they are really diving in and devoting themselves to helping each other and creating their own communities online. We'd love to hear from you on who else you think that we should feature. Uh, if there's a similar group with, that's doing efforts or if there's a notable person in our community, please do let us know. We'd like to diversify our guests. Uh, next week, we've got a very exciting lineup. We will be talking to the governor on Monday. It'll be interesting to hear from from him, we've asked him to kind of reflect on one year since the pandemic began. On this coming Thursday marks a year since the World Health Organization declared this a pandemic. So we'll be asking him just sort of on his reflections over the last year and then also diving into some specifics on policy as well. And then Ryan, a guest we've never had before on Wednesday who I know will be very popular. 
Yeah, Laurie Kahikina, who is the interim CEO of Heart, will be joining the conversation to give us an update on the rail project. We know that many people uh, have questions about what's happening with the rail. Uh, of course, she is the interim director coming over from her former job working under the Caldwell administration in that uh, department and that body. And so she is faced with a bunch of issues, including funding and routes. And we uh, would like we're excited to get an update from her on where the rail is going and how the rail will be finished. Hard to believe that, you know, in 2008, uh, the question of should the rail be built was put on the uh, was was voted on by the public. And here we are. Uh, over 10 years later, still figuring out how this rail is going to get to Ala Moana. So we'll get an update from her. Uh, we'll also be speaking to Mayor Derek Kawakami next week as well. Yeah, and that'll be interesting because Kauai has announced that it's rejoining safe travels. There was a lot of uh, pressure from business owners on Kauai who felt like they really need these tourism dollars to come back. And with the numbers as low as they are right now, they were really pushing the mayor there to rejoin the program. So what changed his mind? Uh, we're going to be hearing an update from him. So we've got an exciting week ahead. And we thank you all for being here this morning. We appreciate all the comments and participation. Again, if you want to join either of those groups, it's Hawaii Unemployment Updates and Support. That was the unemployment group. And then Hawaii Quarantine Kapu Breakers. They're both private groups, but you just fill out a quick little survey at the top uh, and it's pretty easy to join. Yeah, we're looking forward to another week of conversations. Thanks uh, to our guests and thanks to all of you for tuning in once again here on Spotlight Hawaii. We'll see you next week. Aloha.